on the air. How are we doing, Brother Joe? So I love it when technology works. We discover more times than not that it's not working about the time that uh, the services are announced or whatever. And uh, different people say, well, are we going to broadcast? Yeah, we're going to broadcast, but then they can't get onto our broadcast. I don't know why it is. Maybe you'll see a little bit later. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. And I've simply entitled the message, Imagine Heaven. And uh, I had a couple things that happened this week, um, and, and I want you to think about this for a moment. Many years ago, uh, back in the 1960s, there was a song uh, that uh, the Beatles sang said, that literally went, um, Imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell. And it almost was like a catalyst to where uh, people were like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't have to worry about dying and we didn't have to go to heaven or hell? Well, the, the person that sang that song uh, was assassinated, you know, many years later. And uh, currently that, that person, unless he knows Christ as his Savior, is discovering that hell is very real. I also uh, was made aware of what they're now trying to focus upon people, this matter of, of AI, artificial intelligence. And the idea is that you can sit down and you can talk with God, you can talk with Satan, and, uh, you know, through the virtual machines of this world, the, uh, the if you will, the artificial intelligence, and, and really have a direct conversation. But may I point this out to you, that the people that are programming the artificial intelligence are sinful by nature, and so by cause of that, they're going to want to slant it more over to the things of Satan. I mean, he wants to be painted as a, a wholesome image, you know, that, that he only wants to what's good for our country, what's good for the world, and so on and so forth. Don't let anyone fool you. Uh, we know that the, the reality of this world is that it's going to get worse and worse and worse, not better and better, as so many people want to make you believe. And reality is, is that when we pass from this life, we will stand before God and we will give an account. Now with that in mind, we have a great responsibility to understand all the things that he requires of us. I want us to look at Matthew 6, chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at the second part of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Mind you, he has called his disciples to him. Uh, we don't know how many people are following him at this time, maybe a hundred, maybe less, we don't know. But whoever it is, he is going to instruct them in the things of God. Now, I want you to understand, I don't believe there was uh, someone who did not know about Jesus Christ and his declaration that he is the Lamb of God or anything else. I believe that this was his saints, because the message that we see is directed towards those of us who believe not towards the world in, in general. Let's look at verse 1. Take heed that you, do not, uh, that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men, verily I say unto you, they have a reward. But when thou doest alms, let not your left hand know what the right hand doeth. Let that thine alms may be in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret himself rewardeth thee openly. 
And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have a reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, that thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a, a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine thy head, and wash thy face, that thou not appear unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where doth moth and rust corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thy thieves do not break through nor steal. Let us pray. Father, again, I want to thank you for the blessings that you have allowed us to already see from the reading of thy word. And Lord, any mistake that I've made in the reading, I pray that you will forgive and that you will cause everyone that is in the congregation to see my mistakes as humanly possible. Lord, again, I pray that you will just guide me and bless in the message today. Lord, help me to paint a wonderful picture of what heaven will truly be like. And guide us, dear Father, to know thy truth. So lead us and bless and protect us and help us, dear Father, in all things to be faithful unto you. And guide and direct now, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. So, if I was to try to get you to imagine heaven, I wonder how many of us might really have the abilities to do so. Mind you, we are tainted and we're a little bit tempted by everything we see around us. I've been working on this one house, you know, for some time now, and and uh, I noticed this is that in this one old house that I've been working on, it has a big wraparound porch. I love that, but it also has oh, there and, and bring it down, you know. And I, I hear about these vines, and and it's almost like something at right out of the pit of hell, if you will, that just wants to rip up this house and and kind of pull it down. But everything that I see about what we have in this world is tainted as a picture of what real heaven is going to be like. I look at the Word of God many times, and one of the things that I looked at was what a friend of mine used to tell me. And he would oftentimes talk about air conditioning or maybe you know running water that came out of the tap or whatever. And he would make this statement, and it's found in verse 29. And verse 30, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, 
which is to, which is which uh, today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? The reality is is that he would make this statement. He goes, Solomon in all of his glory. Solomon in all of his glory, and I know this is that, you know, I love an air-conditioned room. I, you know, one of the areas that we have is that we uh, have one little room where we have the air conditioner blasting, and it's cooled down that whole section of the upstairs. And I can work in that cool air conditioning because it feels so good. But as soon as I come out of that air conditioning, I am hit immediately with heat. And I feel that blast of heat upon my face and everything else. I'm going, I can't wait to get back into the air conditioning. And so it doesn't matter what we face on this earth. We know that we're going to face some sort of disaster and maybe some discomfort. But I want us to think about this for a moment. And I want to paint a picture of life gone by and what really should prepare us for what heaven is going to be like. Now, I want you to get this for a moment, and I've been doing quite a bit of my studies. I want you to hold your place here in the book of Matthew, and let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and I want us to see one verse in particular, and we're going to just spend some time here today, and I want us to look at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. Now, we have heard this verse many times over and again. Now, this was written after about 2,000 years of history where the, the planet was already in place. And it says in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I have that verse underlined in my Bible. I hope you have it underlined as well. But I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of us really understand that our imagination is tainted even in the flesh by sin. Now I want you to think about this. In many ways, the people thought, well, as long as I do this and this and this, you know, God's going to be pretty favorable. Give me an example. How many of us have ever allowed ourselves to imagine that because we are great supporters as a country of Israel, we're a little bit safer? And the reality is, is that that is no guarantee that we are going to have imagination or even a margin of safety as long as we allow evil to continue to heap up upon us. And it was this particular verse that made me think a little bit more about what was going on in other parts of, of, of Genesis. Let's turn back, if you will, to chapter 4, and I want to show you what I'm talking about. In chapter 4, you have the beginning of what we call Cain's lineage. And in Cain's lineage, we find that Cain uh, had many children. We find Jubal. We find Jubal Cain. We find many that are there. But in verse 23, we read about one man. His name was Lamech. And notice what he says. And Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wise of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. Now understand this, is that right off the bat, we find that this young man had already been uh, married two women. He is the first to have a polygamous relationship with two women. And the polygamy that he had is an announcement that says when we see that he has slain a man to his hurt, no doubt this young man had 
had interest in one of the wives that Lamech had. And so, once again, because this man wanted to protect what is own, he had this man, either he killed him himself or he had put him to death. And his statement goes on in verse 24, it says, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy times sevenfold. In other words, if Cain can be threatened, and if he can be, and, and if, if people are after him 49 times, I'm going to be chased after 490 times. Reality is, is that we cover up our sins, and we think that everything is utopian. Uh, one of the areas that I looked at here in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, is a reflection of what we see uh, that is also mentioned over in Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5. Because it says in Matthew, chapter 24, and I want you to get this with me. In verse 37, it says, As it were in the days of Noah, so shall... That God for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. But who were they eating and drinking to? Were they following after the things of God? There's, and I want you to understand this. We just had a wonderful fellowship last week. I enjoyed spaghetti. I enjoyed the fellowship. I enjoyed everything. I ate too much. I'm still suffering from it. And the reality is, is that there's nothing wrong with good fellowship that is there. But when fellowship is surrounded by idols of, of different magnitudes, and we can talk about uh, the Roman idols or the Greek idols or idols that go all the way back to this time, then eating and drinking unto those idols is wrong. Look what else we have here. Marrying and giving in marriage. Do you realize that by marrying and giving in marriage, they wanted to be on God's good the reality is, is that many people think that, well, as long as I'm married with this woman, or sexual relationships with this man. And so, in reality is, is that they have turned around and they have made a mockery of marriage. There's no sanctity of marriage. There's no wholesomeness of marriage. And so, because of that, marriage has become sort of a laughing stock at this present time. Until that no sins were really the things that were we have made a mockery of marriage as God in Genesis chapter 2 when he brought Adam uh, into a relationship with what with Eve we read in verse 24 the relationship as God had intended it Therefore,
The reality is, is that the more that we begin to hear what people want to say and what people have to deal with, they want to think about where we are. Now, let me just stop about this for a moment. And I want to bring this to you, and I call this my uh, country roads theme. That Paul Harvey, many, many years ago, and those, most of you remember Paul Harvey, and he would do this story once a day. He would bring what we call the rest of the story. Well, one time he brought a story about the old dirt road. Now, I don't know about you. I, I've lived most of my life on paved roads or near paved roads. But I remember all the way back into the 1950s and the early 60s. But I want to take even further back to maybe the 1940s, the second half of it, after World War II. And do you know that when most people after World War II began to occur, there was still something called the old front porch. And many times, then that's what I love about those old wraparound porches, because people would sit on the porches. Why did they sit on the porches? Because they didn't want to go inside the house. Why didn't they want to go inside the house? Because during the summertime, that old house was just as stifling as any place you want to be. Here's the other thing. Do you know why they had such large porches? porches? Those porches also provided a little bit of shade. And it would a lot of times be a lot cooler underneath the shade tree or be on the porches. And I remember many years ago that when I was, just went into the military, I was stationed down in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi at Keesler Air Force Base. And I met a, a couple by the name of Henry and Martha. Now, I'm sure they were already up in age. And uh, I, was, I had to be in the hospital, and I got to know Henry pretty well. And he invited me to church one Sunday, and I remember this, is that I drove up to their house, and they lived there in the Mississippi area, and I remember hearing Henry call out to his wife, Martha, Michael's here, pour the boy a glass of tea. And, you know, it was just so slow and so... the pace of the individual. And from the kitchen, I heard Martha repeat, I want 
couldn't have gotten any slower. It couldn't have gotten any better. And I said, Southern hospitality. And I remember also growing up in, in the days by, if you will, before we ever had air conditioning, and I remember that when I was growing up, and Greg can probably remember this as well, we never had air conditioning in our house. We had box fans. And it wasn't until my sister was born that Dad had decided that we needed to have a big air conditioner in the house. And I said, Dad, I don't understand. Why do we need an air conditioner? He goes, well, we need one because the baby girl's been born. He didn't have, I said, well, what about us? He was you were born. But, but when it comes to my daughter, she's going to live in some comfort. And I'm, I'll never forget that statement. But we had that front porch. And what I loved about that, and it was again, when we said the front porch, it was on the side of the house. And it was a meeting place where anybody and everybody would come in. Pretty soon, lemonade, iced tea, you name it, water, it was all about the Bible. I remember we had Gene McKee come up and he would, would come, sometimes come in and talk to us. Brother Tom Heisel would come over and he would come up on the porch and we would talk about the things of God. Dad would be out there and as soon as he sat down on that porch, before long we had the Bible coming out and we had the discussion of the Bibles. Not a planned Bible study, but a ready Bible study. Instant in season and out of season. I can't help but believe that was a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. Can you imagine when we are sitting in heavenly glory that we're going to be looking at this very word? And maybe we're going to get to Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 and it says, Judge not, lest you be judged. And maybe there's some struggle still But we say, Lord, what does that really mean? And right next to us, the Lord would appear. Can you imagine that? And he wanted to, if he wants to explain this so carefully, he would literally be right in our presence to where he could discuss it. Lord, you said that Solomon and all Can you imagine how Solomon must have been arrayed? He walked around in, in beautiful tapestries. He walked around in beauty everywhere that he went. And yet it says that even the flowers of the field were better decorated than Solomon. Can you imagine that? We think about the dainties. We think about the sweets. I love, the, I love good food and people that prepare all the time. But you know, I don't think it's anything about what's going to be like when our taste buds are restored to what they were formerly. When we are forced in our homes, and literally I believe that a lot of what we see today is that people are forcing themselves in their homes and they're not considering what they're missing on the outside. You know, everywhere that I go, I see the effects of entropy. Yesterday, I, I had to help a family because there was water literally coming through a light fixture and pouring out onto the ground. And as that water was being poured out, you know, again, everyone was asking me, do you want to turn off the water? I said, I don't even know where the water is. 
I don't even know how to turn off the electricity. I said, I've got to get this taken care of right now. And I pulled down this bowl and water was filled in that bowl. I turned down, I put down the light, the light fixture and more water come pouring out. And I thought, boy, this is just not right. Where's the water coming from? And it appears to have come from air conditioning. But how many of us have ever thought about what air conditioning does is it drives us in our homes away from people. And then, when we go into our homes, do we sit down and enjoy our families? No, we sit them and play in front of the TV and we just allow them to enjoy any kind of entertainment that they want. Matter of fact, I got to laughing about this as I thought about many years ago. My grandparents had an outhouse. They had a cistern, they had a well, they had, an in, they had indoor plumbing. But they were very careful with that water. I remember we had like one inch of water in the bathtub whenever we took a bath because they wanted to be careful that the cistern never went dry. But I hated using that outhouse. Why? It stunk. No matter what you looked at. And in the wintertime, I guarantee you, it was not a pleasant adventure to run out there to the outhouse and, and use it and then run back into the house. And yet, many times people would be standing in line waiting for you to come back in so they could enjoy a little bit of warmth that had been created. But do you realize that those hard times, as many people call them, were some of the best times? Before television occurred, what did people do? They sat around and they would sing to each other. I can't imagine that heaven's not going to be filled with music. They would enjoy some simple fare, some simple food. I can't imagine heaven being any better than that. I can't imagine that, that people would openly take the word of God and ignore it, but instead try to apply it in their life. And the more that I read this message, the more that I begin to understand that God had a particular purpose. And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. But this time we're going to go all the way back to chapter 1. And I want you to see this for a moment. And I learned this lesson sort of the hard way not too long ago. Now I want you to look what it says in Genesis chapter 1. And then we're going to go to chapter 2 and finish up. But in Genesis chapter 1, let's go down to verse uh, 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living creature that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding fruit to you, and it shall be for meat. Now, the thing that is beautiful about this is that God said, This is what I want you to eat, and I'm going to preserve this for you. I'm going to care it for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, doesn't that sound pleasant? We haven't seen anything yet. Go to verse 5 of chapter 2. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb in the field before it grew, the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to fill the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Now I want you to get this. This is the lesson I want you to see. I don't know what it was like upon this earth before the fall of man. None of us do. 
None of us do. In fact, may I point this out to you? Probably the only people that wanted the earth before the fall of Adam and Eve. They knew what it was like. They were the They understood the, the, the bees that we have are not there just to sting us. There's also other creatures that do much good for us upon this earth that we see as scary and indirect. But I often thought about this is that there was no spoilage. Can you imagine peeling a banana and it always being ripe? I love ripe bananas. I love fresh bananas. I, and you know, when they start turning a little bit brown, I'm not interested in them anymore. Can you imagine picking up an ap apple and, and biting into a fresh apple and, and you can just feel that, that, that juice as it rolls down your face? Can you imagine eating watermelon or strawberries or anything that is there naturally of the fruit and it was always good for us? Well, if all these things are there, then what happened? There would be no spoilage. There would be no problem. There would everything would keep. Well, the other day I opened up a can of tomato sauce, and you know, as a good boy, I poured whatever I had left over and I put it in the container and I put it in the refrigerator. Four days later, it was growing mold. Now this came out of a can into a container and it started to already grow mold. How was that possible? And you know the thing that I found is this, when God took down the canopy, he unleashed something that man had never experienced before. No longer did we have the preservation of the earth as God had intended it. And every man that walked upon the earth, they were enjoying the good things of God. But now you had Noah and his family as they landed on Mount Ariat. And as they landed on that, that land, on that point, they began to see the effects of the fall. They began to see the effects of the flood. In the wintertime, they had to hunker down to make sure that they stayed warm. They had to preserve the foods, and at that time they probably had to dry it. There's nothing there that would have allowed them to freeze it or to can it, as far as I know. But the reality is that they understood that nothing was going to keep of itself. And so they looked for better climate. One of the reasons I believe they went down to Shinar was it was warmer, it would have been better. And there they thought they had that wonderful utopian place to be at in that land that they created called Babel. But I thought about this as well. The one thing that haunted the people over and again was the lack of preservation. No longer could you depend upon something being harvested and it would keep. I want you to get this. Look at what it says again. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb that had filled before it grew, the Lord God had not caused it to rain. He protected even the vegetation. Now think about how many animals were upon the earth. It says over there, we just read that, how that every animal was dependent upon the grasses, every dinosaur could reach up, every giraffe, every elephant, everyone that was there, they could enjoy those fruits. But do you realize that when God had brought the curse and suddenly there was the, this great devastation that occurred, no longer could these animals depend upon life that way. It was going to be a different life. And the more that I thought about that, the more that I began to see that we no longer live 
after the things of God, we live after the things of ourselves. Now think about this. I know this seems like an unusual sermon, but think about this for a moment. How many of us are more concerned over ourselves than we are over the lost and their needs? Let's turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to go over there now. We'll, we'll stay there. In the book of Matthew, and let's go to chapter 4, and let's look at the message that John the Baptist preached. Well, matter of fact, I want you to see this. Matthew chapter 3. Let's go there first. And in Matthew chapter 3, we begin to hear the message that was declared by John the Baptist to the world. Notice what it says in verse 2. And saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this was the message that John had delivered. When Jesus finished in Matthew chapter 4, after he had been tempted in the wilderness, let's go down, if you will, to, chapter, to uh, verse 17 of chapter 4. And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not only that, let's go to chapter 17 of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 17. And let's go down to verse 20. Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And when he, was the, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Three times I want you to see this. Now I want you to get it. We are possessors of of something that the world really needs, but we are hoarding it to ourselves. I want you to get this. One of the things that I have discovered over and again is that I am a redeemed individual. I know how I was redeemed. You know how you were redeemed. You know how everyone that I can point out here that is in the congregation that knows that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, you know how that Christ has changed you from within and has made you a child of God. Every one of us knows that. Do you realize that you are partakers of the kingdom of heaven? Now that's the words I'll boil down to. But what I have with inside of me, I need to declare it so other people will hear it as well. So when I go into the world, I tell others about what Jesus Christ has done for me, and I also declare to them that he has died upon the cross of Calvary to give me that salvation. So everywhere that I go, when, when John the Baptist said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he didn't say that they had it yet, but the one who was going to bring it to place was going to bring it to them. Not lay it long
let them know about Jesus Christ. Let's let the world know about what Jesus has done. We're not afraid to tell others about our, our adventures, about our cars, about our houses, about anything else. But here's the thing. What is the most important thing to us? The most important thing to us should be that Christ is a redeemer. I was approached this morning by by an announcement. Can I now tell the people what has happened to me? Boy, I, I really want to say yes right now. But here's the thing. We're just going to wait a little bit longer. Don't worry. They've still got a great announcement to make. But the reality is, is that when these things happen, there is an urgency inside of us that says, I want to... of the kingdom of heaven. And for that to occur, I have to see a great depletion in myself. But did you know the reward for these things is amazing? I want to show this to you. This, this is amazing. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs. I know I, I lied to you. I said that we were going to camp in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. But I want you to see this. Proverbs chapter 11. And let's go down to verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. Look what it says. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Your righteousness will lead others to want to know about Jesus. And he that winneth souls is wise. Who is the wisest amongst us? Now, do I have to browbeat someone into believing? No. I just declare the word of God. The Holy Spirit will take the message that I have declared and tell others of Christ. And sometimes I'm, I'm, it's amazing to me that the Holy Spirit will take the message and cause others to want to know more about it. I keep thinking about this lady that I, I knew up in Jackson, Ohio, and even to this day I don't know her last name. But reality is, is that she was out printing her flowers and the next thing you know, she said, you know, I don't want anything to do with you or the Bible. Get out of my sight. And before I left, I said, can I ask one question? Is that a petunia? That's the only thing I asked her. And she said, do you like flowers? I said, I love flowers, but I have a brown thumb. And she began to explain the azaleas. She began to explain the lilies and the, all the flowers. And I laughed and I said, Solomon, in all of his glory... She said, what do you mean? I said, there was a king by the name of Solomon. And he was arrayed like nobody's business. But even the Bible declares that even in all of his splendor, he didn't even look like one of God's flowers. Do you know that lady invited me back again and again and again? She said, I don't even have a Bible. I bought her a Bible and I brought it to her. God opens the doors. Look what else it says in verse 31. Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth, much more the wicked and the sinner. 
But I want you to see this. The final verse that I'm going to show you all today is in the book of Germ- in the book of Daniel. And I love this particular one. Let me get over there ahead of you if I can. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And I want you to think about this in the millennial kingdom. All right? Look what it says. Go down to verse 3. And they that be wise. Who's the wise? Who's the wise ones? We just read about it. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, it says, They that win his souls are wise. And they that shall be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Can you imagine in the millennial kingdom that we who have told others of Christ and have shown them Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior will have a new reward that people will be able to recognize it all the way through. Look what it says. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That is prophecy. That is in the word of God. I want people to know that there is something special about my Lord. And yet, I don't deserve not one of his great rewards. But I want to be like him. I want to have such a hunger for heavenly things that I can imagine stepping into glory. I, I remember when The Passion of the Christ, the movie, came out. And someone asked me to go see it. I went with them and we went and saw it together. Someone asked me, was I surprised? I said, not at all. I've already seen it. And they said, you mean you've already seen the movie? I said, no, in the mind's eye. I have seen my Christ as he was crucified, as he was beaten terribly so, as he was nailed to the cross. I saw the spear thrust into his side. I saw the great earthquake. I saw him taken down. I saw him buried. But I saw his resurrection. I see all... We don't. Any one of us want to see that. Instead, we want to see the glory of God shine through each and every one of us over and over again. The reality is, is that Jesus is coming again. Can you imagine? Oh, I look forward to this. Oh, how much I look forward to this. When I arrive in the glory, there will be those that went ahead of me. I have no doubt that my mom and dad will be there waiting on me. I have no doubt that my in-laws will be up there waiting on me. I have no doubt that other people are going to enjoy my company as I come before them. But I don't want to see them as much as I want to see Jesus Christ. And if you think that I'm going to come boldly, no, no, no. I'm going to fall on my face. Lord, I'm not worthy. I can't even touch your feet. I'm not worthy. Can you imagine the hands of Jesus as he picks me up and he says, Welcome home, child. You know, Stephen is not the only one that he stood up for. I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. No, he was standing because he was getting ready to receive his saint. 
Jesus stands to receive us. And the day is going to come when Michael Prater is going to stand before Jesus, not in my righteousness, but in his holiness, in his righteousness. He has justified me. And when I stand before him, I'm going to see him in his glory and his power because he alone died for me. Can you imagine the Lord saying, look at all those that have come because of your testimony? Everyone that has come to know Christ because I shared the gospel with them. One of the young men that I know of is John Orlowski. For years and years and years I preached to, brother, to John and I said, you need to know Christ as your Savior. He joined the military and while he was on board ship, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And guess who he wanted to tell? He wanted me to know. Folks, let me tell you something. It's not just the pulpit, but every person that we invite to come hear the message. Come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Come and hear the message of Christ. We share in the gospel of Christ. And the first time we deliver a newborn in Christ, the first time we hear that, that person say, I believe, it's nothing like it. Nothing like it. You just wait and see. Father, again, I want to thank you for your blessings. And I pray the message that has been delivered today might be the message that you would have for us all to hear. I don't know the condition of everyone that is here today, Father, but you know all things. And I pray that if there's one that does, does not know you, that you will stir within them their need of Christ and that they may rejoice together with me. Help me, dear Father, to, to understand your purpose and your plan. Lord, stir your people. And may those that are listening, either in this building or away from us, may they hear the, the word of Christ and may they repent and believe. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Greg. Would you dismiss us with a song?